Welcome to the Carrero Podcast. Before we get started today, we would like to inform our listeners that Carrero is supported by edX Global. It's an international nonprofit where we work with K-12 students as they work with their local and global communities, providing service learning activities. In 2022, we are asking for your support in raising $20,000. It is to assist our students and their activities in creating gardens for schools and communities, purchasing and delivering blankets for the homeless, providing curriculum for teachers across the world, purchasing backpacks and filling them with educational items for students in need, and collecting and delivering food and toiletry items for the local homeless organizations. You can donate with Venmo using at edacts-global, or you can go to our website, which is www.edxglobal.org, spelled edacts G-L-O-B-A-L dot org and donate. We appreciate your support. Thank you. Hello, this is Malia Hoffman. I'm here with Fred Ramirez and you're listening to the Carrero Podcast. Today our guest is Samantha Pickering. Samantha is the Director of Education at Plastics Ocean. Her bachelor's is from University of Michigan, Dearborn, and in environmental studies where she focused on environmental education and is currently pursuing her master's in public health at Wayne State University. She provides environmental education for both youth and adults and specializes in waste management and reduction best practices. Hi, Samantha. Thanks for joining us today. Can you please just start out and tell us a little bit about what you're presently doing? Sure. Thank you for having me. So I currently work at Plastic Oceans International as their director of education. And there I help create different educational materials that we use for both youth and adults. And I'm actually right now also doing my master's in public health at Wayne State University, where I'm also um, a National Science Foundation fellow in an urban sustainability program. Wow, that's that's intense. Um, how's your how's your master's coming coming along along with doing what you're what you're doing now? Uh, just as you said, it's very intense, but it's also, you know, I took a lot of time off in between my undergrad and doing my master's now. So it's something I'm very passionate about and really what I want to do and actually being able to apply a lot of my professional knowledge to what I'm doing in school has been really helpful and it all kind of ties together and I'm able to make a lot more connections that way too. You know, one, like, like one of the, uh, as we, as you all know that, um, do you, Detroit has been in the in the news a lot with regards to water. Um, has have things in, in, improved there, or are things getting better? Um, are you referring to the lead in the water, or just yes. all of the overflow? And so we've had 
uh, a couple different issues. One is intense flooding. So we've had these more um, stronger rainfalls where we're getting a larger amount of rain in a smaller period of time. So we deal with a lot of flooding here, specifically down on the east side by the river. Um, those neighborhoods are gravely impacted by that and are still kind of coming back from what happened last summer. Um, we, I'm in Hamtramck, which is a small city inside of Detroit. And we have a lot of issues with lead in our water. So I actually opted recently to get the water delivery service. So I have a water cooler now because we're not supposed to use it for cooking food, really, or drinking so much. Um, so trying to just kind of mitigate where I can there. But there are... You know, we have a combined sewer overflow system here, and that's where a lot of issues stem from, too. I know they are working on replacing some of the, the lines with either copper or PVC pipe instead of um, the old infrastructure that we have underground right now. But those things take time. So I know they've been doing pockets here and there. So hopefully we start to see a lot more improvements as in the upcoming years. Good. So based on your bio and what you've shared with us so far, it can, we can tell that you're really passionate about the environment. Is there something um, like an experience that you had as a child that, you know, prompted you to be so passionate about the environment or like, how did you become interested in this? You know, I was always that weird kid in the library checking out books on pollution and the environment and animals and things like that. And when I was in the third grade, around like eight years old, I started a cleanup club in my school with my classmates to pick up the litter that was outside on the playground. And we also organized a couple beautification events where we planted flowers and things like that at the school and the parents and everybody came out and it was really quite precious if I think about it now because it kind of came full circle with some of the work that I do at Plastic Oceans because one of those things is organizing litter cleanup events. Um, so, I mean, I think it was always just something in me where I wanted to serve and give back and specifically for the environment. Wow. So so how did that go over with, with friends? Did you, you know, did you just find common like friends that, that, that had common thoughts or um, like how, how big was your, was your club? How did, how did all that get, get going? I mean, it was a pretty small club. It was maybe just a couple of us, but I think, I think what happened was I just kind of brought it to my teacher's attention and a couple of my friends got involved with me and we started making posters about why it's important to not litter and got permission to hang them up around the school. And um, yeah, it was it was pretty small, but you know, just kind of do what you can where you can. It sounds a lot like the foundation that Fred started, the edX Global, um, Start Local, Go Global. So has mm -hmm. your projects, I mean, it, that's where you started being interested in, you know, taking care of the earth, but have those projects or those um, that activist mindset propelled you into um, some of the projects um, today, maybe giving back to the youth or maybe just developing what you started with and making it bigger? Yeah, I'd say so. I mean, I started volunteering when I was like 
11 or 12 or something, I started volunteering at a local animal shelter. And as I kind of went through school and kept learning more about things, I started my undergrad at Wayne State University, which is in Detroit, and did an AmeriCorps internship there, which is, um, you know, just like the local Peace Corps type thing. And from there, I learned a lot about what is going on in Detroit, especially in terms of the environmental pollution and environmental injustices and kept becoming more and more interested in that. And that just sort of made me want to continue sort of like the acts of service. Um, For me, it's very fulfilling and it's something to where when you go to work, it's, it doesn't feel like work. You're basically just fulfilling your purpose and doing what makes you feel good. So I think it's been nice to like have that in my background, but to now be implementing it as an adult and with everything that I've learned along the way too. And also, um, you know, just making connections and creating partnerships and working with others to really have a strong local impact that, you know, affects everything globally too. Yeah, and, and, and tell us about your about your undergrad years. Were were there professors there that 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 you purposely took um, just because their 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 mission and, and their vision paralleled yours? Were there mentors available? Um, and then, if, if so, how did you connect with them? So my undergrad experience was a little fragmented. It I started at Wayne State University for environmental science. And this was back in like 2005, 2006. And it was sort of a hodgepodge of a program back then. It was half biology, half geology, and a lot of calculus, a lot of organic chemistry that I struggled with immensely and ended up dropping out. Um, I ended up taking a few years off and I made friends with my friend. We're still friends. uh, Megan, she was going to the University of Michigan Dearborn for a similar program. And she encouraged me to look into their environmental studies program, which was more interdisciplinary. It did not require calculus and it did not require physics and all these other classes I was struggling with. So I really started to look into the program and that was where I met um, Dr. Oren Gelderloos, who ended up being my advisor, my professor for a lot of my courses there. And he also developed the entire curriculum for the environmental studies program. So to be able to learn with him and under him was paramount to my learning experiences. So some of my classes were in environmental philosophy where I learned about Aldo Leopold and the land ethic and also the beautiful words of Wendell Berry. And, you know, my, when I was there studying, Dr. Gelderloos was in his eighties and still rode his bike to campus every day, still worked from morning till night. Like his passion was to be there for his students and to help them and support them in their learning process. And, you know, he always said to us, it's, it's not work if you love what you're doing. And that was one of the things that I took and continued to carry with me because I think that just makes a whole lot of sense. I don't think work should be something you do until you're 65 and then you stop. I think it's like a lifetime commitment, at least for me. Sure. It's wonderful. Can you tell us a little bit about what you do at Plastics Oceans and um, what the mission is? 
Yeah, so at Plastic Oceans, we're a 501c3 nonprofit, and we work to foster sustainable communities worldwide as a means to end plastic pollution. So basically the belief is that we, well, we can and we must start acting locally very strongly in order to create change that's a global impact. So we do that through a few different pillars. One is education, which is what I help with, um, but there's also activism, advocacy, and science. And essentially the idea within that vision is to have a world without plastic pollution and that embraces a circular economy. So just eradicating as much plastic as we can, cleaning up what we can and keeping all of the things that we use in the mix as long as possible, rather than this sort of disposable, out of sight, out of mind lifestyle that we have. So with the education, they didn't have a director of education or anything, anyone like specifically geared towards that prior to my coming on board. I mean, all the pockets did their own versions of education, but my job is to solely focus on that. And doing that, we develop various educational materials that can be used by teachers. So the idea is for whatever we create to be out there for anyone to use at any time. So it would basically have a presentation for them. It would give them all the background information that they need and various activities that they could do with the children too. Um, but we you know, with me being based in Detroit, I'm able to implement around here. So I will travel and go about and do what I can with where I can. But we also, you know, with Zoom being a thing these days, I'm happy to zoom in to anyone's classroom and have a conversation as well. Um, like we just kind of finished our first general presentation and I'm actually piloting it this coming Tuesday. And I'm so pumped. I've been waiting for this day for a very long time. And it's like great timing too, because we have Earth Day this month. So it's technically That's just Earth right. Month for us. Mm. Yeah. So oh, do you have it focused towards a certain um, grade level or does it, can it be pared down to, you know, kindergarten all the way through high school? The idea is to be able to cheer the conversation up and down mm -hmm. for students. But I do think we are going to have something a little bit more separate for like kindergarten through second grade just mm -hmm. because I believe like those that age group you really need to just play yeah. and yeah. have a conversation and just yeah have it be less about PowerPoint slides and more about you know just hands-on experiences so yeah. that's really um, awesome yeah I, you know, I would I would like to connect because there's um one of the things that our that our clubs have been doing is getting in, in, involved with plastics, uh, ocean plastics, microplastics, um, and the problems with them. And so, there's um, I, I know of one 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 teacher that's, that's that's she's a high school Spanish teacher, but but she's very um, very interested in this in this topic. Um, and then we we also have a club in South Dakota where. Um, they always come on our on our trips um, that we have every single year, and they're and they're also concerned about it. Um, and so, yeah, I would I would love to connect. And in, in fact, one one of the things that we're doing is is we're going to 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 Hilo in in June in order to learn about the environment there and to you know hopefully do some do some cleanups. 
Um, what are some current ac- activities that that Plastic Oceans is is currently doing? You mean um, activities in terms of our education, or or um, like like for like for people like me that want to volunteer and do and do stuff, or like do you do you work with other other or- organizations in order to get these um, like get these um, programs up and up and running or these events up and running? Certainly. I mean, sorry, I thought my brain went to youth activities. So I was thinking well, that, that at yeah, first. That, that too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we have a blue communities program, which is one of our global connectors and the blue communities program is centered around that, that thought of, you know, act locally, think globally. So in doing that, we, basically organize cleanups. So that's what I do here in Detroit with the Blue Communities Program. We organize litter cleanups, shoreline cleanups. So for us, it's the Detroit River shoreline. And we bring volunteers out and we partner with other organizations. And we do that locally, but that's also happening locally, globally around the world, right? So you have, we have um, a few people in California and Los Angeles. We have branches in Canada, Europe, Mexico and Chile, and they all have their own partner organizations and programs they run out there. And then we also just have various organizations that partner with us and do their own cleanups and they connect back with us on those. So we're all sort of working together against the same thing. And with those cleanups, we also like to provide a little bit of education component as to why we're there, why we're cleaning this up, why plastics are a pervasive issue within our environment and how it impacts our health too. So I'd be happy to partner with you all and see how we can help support you and everything you're doing. Awesome. That sounds really good. So recently we heard uh, researchers and doctors have found microplastics in human blood. And what does this mean for humanity, for health, for well-being? Well, I think it's been in our bodies for a while. I think it's finally great that we've got this research um, done that tells us it's in our blood. I mean, I think the number was like 80% of the people they tested. It showed up that there was plastic in their blood. And that essentially means there's, I mean, there's no way to get it out of our systems now. Um, Prior to this, we knew that it's, it was in the placenta of women specifically, like around my age and younger. So that means that any any child you bear is going to be born with it in their system. And plastics are an endocrine disruptor. And those chemicals basically have a laundry list of different adverse human impacts, like for our health specifically. Yeah. So it can be anything from like respiratory issues. It can be uh, metabolic syndrome. So leading to diabetes and obesity. It can also mainly what it does is it impacts our reproductive system. So because endocrine and hormones are connected, it will um, come in as a lot of fertility issues. And yeah, so it's, it's something that our body can, can filter some of it out, like some of those chemicals, but not to the extent that we're intaking because it's, 
It's everywhere. Like microfibers from our clothes are in our water, like our drinking water. There aren't filters that can filter that out at this point in time. They're in our personal care products and those microbeads. It's getting into the water that way. And, you know, everything that's in the ocean and in our local waters or water bodies that um, like all the microplastics and nanoplastics from just all the litter that's out there. Because plastic over time, it's just going to keep breaking down into smaller pieces. It's not going to degrade at any point. It's just going to break into those smaller pieces. And those tiny pieces are not getting filtered out of a lot of what we consume. Yeah, I'm depressed. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That's that's the crappy part of this job sometimes. (laughs) It does really get depressing, but. Yeah, because it's, I mean, it's, it's it's worrisome or it's, 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 it's terrible that, you know, that our, that our plant life, that our, that our animal life have to have to deal with it. And as, as all of us know here, and maybe, maybe not our listening audience, but animals have, have been dealing with this for decades. Um, I'm, what I'm hopeful is that now, now that there's research out there that, um, that we're, ingesting this and that it's in our bloodstream now I'm, I'm i'm hoping that government entities may finally start to say oh well if it's going to affect our reproductive systems maybe we need to take a closer look now um you know without really understanding well we have a lot of catching up and we probably won't catch up um and so but you know what are some things that we could be doing and 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 with that with that question, um, at least for our listening audience, how how dire is the plastics problem? I mean, I'm not a huge fan of scare tactics, but I would say it is it's pretty dire. Like I said, we can't get it out of our system really now if it's in our blood. Like it's just it's very pervasive and ubiquitous. But I don't think. It's a hopeless situation. I think we can still do a lot to, um, I mean, not fully eradicate it, but we we can make changes and take action to change our behavior. So um, in, order, in regards to what we can do, we can simply just start taking action within our local community or even in your household, in your workspace, start to see where you can remove plastic items Um I mean, some plastic we need, like in terms of hygiene and the medical field, you need those types of plastics. So it does have, you know, a good quality in a sense. We're not spreading a bunch of diseases and viruses because we have equipment that's not clean. But, um, you know, we definitely have this throwaway lifestyle that is just based on like that instant almost like instant gratification, but like that quick fix. Like I'm just going to grab my lunch. It's a salad in a plastic container, grab a plastic fork and you know, you eat your salad, you're done with it. 10, 15 minutes, you toss it. Even if you toss it in the recycling, it's going to last here pretty much forever. So, you know, we need to just be more mindful of things and our impact on the earth and how everything that we do every day as humans does have an impact and it's up to us to decide what we want that impact to be, mm-hmm. but also give ourselves grace 
in the sense that not every day is going to be the perfect practice. You know, you might forget your water bottle, your reusable water bottle that you take every day religiously, and you have to stop and grab, um, you know, one of the water bottles that you can recycle or is kind of like a single use item, but just kind of not get all bent out of shape about that and make sure, you know, you'll remind yourself that you will do better tomorrow. Because I think a lot of it is just, it seems very overwhelming. And that's why maybe a lot of people don't partake in some of the actions. But I think if we kind of like lessen some of that pressure, then more people will participate and we'll have, um, we'll have more impact and we'll have more change. There's the zero waste quote about the zero waste lifestyle and how we don't need a million people practicing zero waste perfectly. We just need a million people practicing zero waste imperfectly. So just kind of, yeah, practicing the best you can when you can. You know, and, and you were, you were talking about um, education and, and, and the things that you're doing. And I think it's, I think it's wise to have our, attention on our, on our youth. I mean, because they're the ones that with, within this next decade or, or two are, are really going to have to, um, you know, work with others in order to make things better. Um, and I think by, and so, so what are some things, um, I mean, I, I know here, here in, in California, they're going to start, um, I think it's statewide, I think I don't, but I don't know if it's statewide or, or locally where, where we're going to need to separate a lot of our waste. Um, and then we're going to get fined if we, if, if we don't do it properly. Um, but besides that, you know, what are some things that, you know, what's your focus upon schools and what could, and what could schools could be doing and what should administrators be thinking about and teachers you know, in my ideal world, I would love to see environmental education as like a key pillar of any school's curriculum. I think, you know, our economic system is almost entirely based on natural resources. It's it's something that is is what our lives revolve around. It's our survival. So I think we need more emphasis on making sure youth have a solid education surrounding their connection to the environment and also plenty of outdoor experiences. I think we need to be outside more just to have that, you know, allow that intrinsic value with the earth to build because then what we will have is these youth that grow up and they carry that value throughout their entire lives. So, and it would be a parent in any aspect of their lives, like in their home life and their work life. Like if you're a CEO running a company and you have the earth and the environment's health at the front of your mind, then the rest of it is just going to trickle down. And these youth these days, man, these kids, they're the game changers. Yeah. I'm kind of looking, I'm really looking forward to what they're up to in, you know, 15 to 20 years. And they're really the ones that are, you know, prominent in the workforce. I think they are very aware of what's going on. And I think that's a direct result of 
you know, things changing in California. We have more legislation coming through. We have more people just having these conversations and being aware of these things. So I think, you know, they're growing up with that and they really do care and they want to make changes. So I think by the time, you know, they have that voting power, I think we will see a lot of, um, a lot more things changing. Yeah. I just came from spending 18 months in Germany and my experience there is that they have some of the strongest um, environmental laws in the world. They're very green. Um, everything, any company, any business, when they before they start, they have to connect it back to how they're, um, you know, being environmentally conscious. And I noticed too that just their recycling program is so much better than ours. Um, they pretty much recycle everything. In fact, I had to go to an actual briefing on how to sort my trash, like within the first week of, of moving there, um, which I thought was really interesting. And I hear people here stateside say, well, you know, I don't recycle because it's more expensive and it's worse on the environment to recycle than it is to just throw it in the trash. Um, and, and, and I, I prickle at that because I'm like, well, that's just a lazy attitude. But um you know, what, what would you say to those naysayers about recycling? Um, and I know that plastic reduction is probably the best course of action at this point. And, you know, I try to practice that, but yeah, what are, what would you say to those, those people who kind of, you know, shun it? To prepare to one day have to separate your trash more, like you're just saying, if Mm -hmm. you want a robust, solid waste management system that is impactful and is actually doing what it's supposed to be doing. We are, you know, just how Fred said, you're going to start separating in California. I hope to see things like that in more places because recycling is, it is a whole nother conversation. It is also very depressing because some places don't take things where they're supposed to be going. Contamination is a huge issue, which will result in things going to where they're not supposed to go. And, you know, we we need to maintain these practices no matter what. I say stay in the practice of it. It is not where it should be right now, but there has been some funding coming through and is funneling down for more infrastructure. So we will start seeing um, material recovery facilities be able to take more types of materials. Like um, here in Detroit specifically, we can now take the coffee cups, not the lids, but the cups, even though they're lined with the wax. So those paper cups can now be recycled, which is good. Still best to like bring your own thermos to the coffee shop if you're going to go that route. But you know, something's better than nothing. And In terms of plastic, 100% reduce and refuse every opportunity you can because plastic can really only be recycled maybe two or three times before it's like the integrity of the material is just too degraded and it can't be recycled anymore and it ends up in the landfill. So at some point in its life, it is going to end up there. Um, But we, you know, we can also rectify things too by holding more corporations accountable to use more post-consumer waste rather than buying virgin material, meaning 
a paper company has to use at least 30% recycled paper, for example, to make their paper to sell rather than just taking it all from, um, you know, virgin lumber and things like that. So same with plastic, like you have to use a certain amount of recycled material instead of just virgin oil to create these materials. We, it, it needs to require input from everyone. Yeah, I'm. I'm just, you know, as as you're as you're speaking, I'm, I'm thinking about some of the projects that that edX does, um, or tries to 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 do. I mean, we were one of the things that we were doing was doing like a like a STEM project of of under of a underwater robot for the reason that the kids wanted to use that robot in order to clean microplastics, or try to find out. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's items that, you know, clean the surface of, of water, but it's that water column that, 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 that we don't have anything for. And I teach diving. So, so I, you know, yeah, you know, we can go down there, we can dive and blah, blah, blah. But then we were building it with, with PVC pipe and I'm like, okay, what other material can we use in, you know, in order to do it? And then we're, we've been asked, um, every, Every other summer, what what edX is has been doing was going to U, 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 Utila, off the coast of Honduras, and they have major plastic problems. Um, and so we so we go down there, we clean up, and the microplastics are in the sand, and it's deplorable. And so our kids have spoken with a lot of the businesses there, trying to rethink stuff. And some and some businesses have, um, but then it's but then I'm 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 thinking. Okay. They're asking us. Uh, there's a school there that's asking us to to build a garden for for them. And since electrical, they don't have a lot of, and then water, they don't have a lot of. I'm like, well, how can we do like a solar hydroponic garden? Um, you know, in order to help you know help them out. But then I'm 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 seeing all all the materials to build it. I'm like, uh, it's plastic. <laughs> You know, because that's 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 the only thing available. So, are we are we like people like us? Are we just spinning our wheels? We're gonna get frustrated with okay. Well, what are some other things that we could do? Um, you know, because it's it's not just a there's multiple layers of this garden in which which they want us to build. And then, so we have to build it here first in order to teach our kids and then take the materials or buy them there um, in order to have them build it there. Um, are there are there companies that, you know, people like me could work with that that have, that use recycled goods or, or something like that in order to build, um, like one of the things that they have is this concrete wall all the way around. And so I'm thinking, well, what are some hanging gardens that we could try? Um, that's, that's not the rain gutters that, you know, a lot of them do. Um, so I know that was a long winded question because I'm frustrated. <laughs> no, I mean, I totally understand. It's, it's tough sometimes because I struggle with the same thing when it comes to like teaching materials. And I think about the things and the stuff that I need yeah. And a lot of it is plastic because we are just so reliant on it and it is so cheap and easy to make. It can be molded into any shape. You know, I always think of 3D printers. I'm like, oh my gosh, like you can really 
built anything with this stuff. It's insane. But I think, you know, every sometimes you bite the bullet and you make the sacrifice for educational purposes, right? But there are a few companies, their names are escaping me right now. I can follow up with you with them, but they do use um, like a larger percent of recycled plastics to make things like uh, benches or playgroundscapes or outdoor lawn furniture and stuff. And it's very strong material that is, you know, the intention is for it to last for a very, very, very long time. And when it finally gets kaput, you know, it can actually be recycled again because it is a large component of like most of it's number four plastic. That's a pretty strong one. Number twos, um, excuse me. So I think, yeah. And hopefully these are companies that we start to see more of too. So we don't have these frustrations and we don't, you know, have to go searching and digging for them. They're more prominent and right up there and in your face. And it's a pretty quick fix. You know, and, and that's, I think that's one of the questions that a lot of people have is the economics involved with it. Is my company able to make money? Uh, because, you know, ultimately that's, that's what it comes, comes down to. Are there, are there recycling types of places out there that are making money? Um, are they profitable? Um, or because I was, I was hearing at least here in, in California when, when China stopped taking a lot of the plastics, um, a lot of our recycled goods were just being dumped, um, you know, or they were either dumped in landfills or what sickened me was I was, I was hearing freighters going out in, you know, into the middle of the ocean and just dumping it there. Um, and so are there, are there companies that, you know, people like me, people, people interested in this can, can contact and say, you know, how, you know, how is your company doing? How, you know, how are things, you know, are you being profitable in, in order for us to recycle? I think it varies geographically. Um, for example, I had heard of one company in Canada that was in dire need of plastic bags. Like they are a plastic bag recycling facility. And I thought, that's just the complete opposite problem that we have here. Here, yeah. Nobody wants plastic bags. They're basically trash. Unless, you know, you can take them back to most grocery stores, like the big box chain grocery stores around here, because they will bail them. And if they're bailed, they have some value to them. So it really depends on the material and the location. So for here, um, number one and number two plastic, you're good. People want those. People always want cardboard and paper around here. Um, glass is usually always the least profitable. Metal's pretty decent because it's pretty quick and easy to turn over. But I think, you know, the more we put pressure on our legislators to put out pieces of policy or regulations that require companies to utilize a certain percentage of post-consumer material, the more we'll see the economic sort of balance out of it more and it will be more profitable because you have people that want that material, you know, rather than nobody wanting it because it's basically garbage. But if you're requiring it to be used, because we should just keep using everything that we've already created instead of pulling more natural resources. Right. So, you know, if we get more 
of our elected officials to have that at the forefront of their brain, then I think we could we could start, you know, to loop around into some really good shape. Wow. Well, Samantha, you've given us a lot to think about. Usually when we close up our podcast, we ask our guests what their call to action is. And this is the one thing that you wish to leave with our listeners. So Samantha, what is your call to action? I say get involved. Get involved in your community. Get involved in your workspace. See where you can have some more sustainable practices and even embed that culture of sustainability within your company or organization and make it a core value um, and really build off of that. And also in your home, you know, and the more you put into your community, the more it's going to give back to you as well. So I think the more we have these conversations, the better off we'll be. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. Thank you very much for your time today. Thanks for your work and making the world a better place. We appreciate it. And hopefully we can inspire some more people to do it imperfectly, as you said. <laughs> well, Thank you. I appreciate you both having me. It was fun talking with you. Yes, our pleasure. Mm-hmm.